Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. Hey, we're on a series called Family Matters, so if you want to get your sermon notes out there in your worship guide or also on your YouVersion Bible app, if you want to follow along, follow along with that, uh, you can find them there. But let's get our Bibles out today and let's open to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Family matters. Family matters because God loves family. God built a family. Everything in the kingdom of God is built on family. And how many knows in our natural family situations, things don't always go the way we would like them to? Everything's not ideal. Anybody have the perfect family? Raise your hand. We just like to learn from your family. Yeah, it's great. We've got a few of them. That's awesome. Want to join your family? But now, family has got all kinds of issues. There's all, all kinds of dynamics to it. Some things are great. Some things are challenging. I, last week, we talked about the three primary roles of the household of God and how they impact our lives. We talked about the son or daughter role. This is about you. Again, you may say, well, I'm, I'm not a parent or I'm not a son or a daughter now. I'm a parent or I may be married. The son or daughter role is not about whether you're a parent or a child. The son or daughter role is that we are all sons and daughters of God. This is our primary role in our relationship with God. I was talking to one of my daughters uh, the other day and, and just explaining how she may be my daughter and I may be the father, but in our relationship, I'm a son and she's a daughter of God. So from God's vantage point, we're both sons and daughters. We're on equal playing field when it comes to our relationship with God. So this, this role is so important because from our son and daughter role, our I, our true identity comes from how we see ourselves as sons or daughters of God. How I see myself as a son has a huge impact on how I'm going to see myself and operate as a husband and as a father. If I don't see myself correctly as a son or daughter of God, I will not see myself correctly as a husband. I will not see myself correctly as a parent. I will not function in the right role. So we've got to get this role down. We've got to come back to that. That's why it was about dependency, the first role. We, we talked about that. I gave you three stages, baby stage and child stage and adult stage, but all that's last week. If you missed the first two weeks of Family Matters, go onto our website, check it out, catch up to speed with where we are, because today we're going to talk about the second role. Remember, I gave you three. Son or daughter role was about dependency, about being dependent on God. Number two, the spouse role is about deference. And number th the three, the parent role is about development. We'll talk about the development next week on Mother's Day, talking about parenting, so make sure and come back for that. So today it's about the spouse. Now let me get this out of the way. You may be here and you're like, Chad, I'm not married, I'm just single. It doesn't matter. If you're watching online or you're here in the audience and you're like, I'm not married, or maybe you're divorced, or maybe you're a young person that's never been married, you need to hear what God has to say to all of us. I say us because I'm not talking down to you like I'm up here and I got this all figured out. What I'm sharing today is what God is speaking to us to make us better as men and women, as spouses. You know, in preparing this, this week I had opportunities <laughs> I use the word opportunity to apply what God was speaking to me. There are things that I'm like, hey, that's really great. That's great material. You know, he said, okay, now I want you to go do that. I'd rather just tell people about it than go do it. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? So I just want to encourage you as you're watching this, 
Uh, don't be, if you've already had a divorce and you're like, no one's beating up on anybody because they've had a divorce. What we're talking about is how can we become better so that from this moment forward, I'm a better person. That I'm going to go into this next scenario, whatever it is, and be a better spouse to, as what God has developed me. So let's look at this here. The, uh, the word deference means affected or ingratiating regard for another's wishes. Deference is a word that I use a lot, but it, it works with my deeds that I was putting together. It means to defer to someone. It means humble or respectful submission to the judgment, opinion, will of another. Get this down in your heart. Here's when I say deference. It's about just deferring to someone else. It's humble, willful submission to the judgment, the will, the opinions of someone else. We need deference in our life. We need to be able to defer to one another. If we're going to be successful in any relationship, we need to be able to defer. If we don't get this right, then we're going to struggle because in our relationship with God, it's the same. It's not just relationship with people. Because in the Bible, it talks about the, the believers, followers of Jesus, are called the bride of Christ. The church is called the bride of Christ. So Jesus is the bridegroom. We're the bride. Now, as a dude, it's hard for me to think of myself as a bride. You know, I see a white dress and, and stuff, and I'm like, man, I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a woman. So don't worry when we're talking about being a bride, it doesn't mean you have to stop being a man. It's talking about we're yielding, we're submitting to him, we're deferring to Jesus, we're married to him. So as a man, I can defer to Jesus, I can submit my life to him because I know he covers me, he loves me, and he will take care of me. So I can be a bride all day long and still be a man in the right context. So now let's look at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, let's start reading verse 1. Therefore, this is Paul writing to the church in Philippi, writing to believers. He says, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, being the same love, being of one accord and one mind, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself or herself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now look at verse 1. Here's what we see here. He writes, he says, therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort, if any fellowship, if, that word if, when I look that up, the word if is a word, a clause that actually should be translated. It's not a word like a conditional word, like, well, if there's that, then this. But the word actually should be used to emphasize. So I, I'm going to reword it to let you know what he's talking about. And here's how we, we could, could read verse 1. Therefore, since there is, so it's emphasis, since there is consolation in Christ, since there is comfort of love, since there is fellowship of the Spirit, since there is affection and mercy, then these next parts. So it's not if they're there, it's since they're there. And so what I found in this verse, I found five characteristics, five being the number of grace, in numerology in the Bible, five being the number of grace, five characteristics of Jesus. Since these things are in Jesus, so in our relationship, in you, my, in our relationship with Jesus, he has all of these five things. And because he has all of them for us, he wants us to turn around in the next verses and have them for other people. 
See what I'm saying? So this is what I'm talking about. This is what we need to have in our spouse relationship. Now, if you're, again, if you're young and you're not married yet or you're, you're single, you're divorced, whatever it may be, then you need to be looking for someone that has these characteristics and you need to focus on you first. <laughs> we'll talk about that more in a minute. But you can't change other people. But you can make sure. Too many times, and we'll talk about this later, but, but I want to insert this right here. So many times we're waiting for the right person and we're focusing on finding the right person instead of becoming the right person. If I will focus on being a right person, then maybe my relationships might turn out a little bit better. It's not always them. Anyway, so here's the five things we find in verse 1 that Jesus has towards us. Number one, consolation. This word means Speaking to someone, literally giving encouragement, comfort, and exhortation. It's speaking. So here's what Jesus does to us. He speaks encouragement to us. He speaks comfort to us. He speaks exhortation to us. He tells us these things. So Jesus is an encourager in our relationship. So now we need to look for that in our relationships. We need to be an encourager. We need to speak it, not just think it. The Greek word paraklesis here is talking about you say something. Here's a a great tip for us to learn in our relationships. If you think good, speak good. If you have a good thought about them, tell them. Well, they know how I feel. Tell them. Encourage them. Too many times in our relationship, we feel awkward about encouraging our spouse. We shouldn't be awkward about complimenting them. If you're, if you're looking for someone, look for someone who's not afraid to tell you that you look nice. Not afraid to encourage you. You can do it. See, what's, if we're in a relationship and we cannot encourage one another, if it's awkward to encourage your spouse, we need to work that out. You need to be able to break through that and say, baby, you can do it. You're going to go have a great day. You're, I, I believe in you. I tell you, ladies, if I can give you a tip, if you will encourage your husband, tell him how great he is, be a cheerleader for him. I tell you, when my wife compliments and says great things to me, I feel like I can run through a brick wall. <laughs> Just speak something nice. Tell me, tell me, I'll, ah, it's fuel for me. So be an encourager. In your relationship, in your marriage relationship, break through the awkward barriers and start telling people, start telling the other one, I believe in you. I believe you can do it. You're good. You're, you're awesome. God's got it. something. Come on, you need to encourage one another. God does it to us. Let's do it to one another. I, I can't spend a lot of time on each one. Number one, consolation. Number two, comfort. This is the comfort you feel when consoled in times of disappointment. God is the God of all comfort. This is comfort in love. God's love for us brings us comfort in a relationship with Jesus. How many knows when you're going through disappointing times, discouraging times, it's good to know that God loves you unconditionally. It gives me great comfort to know when I screw up and act a fool that God's love for me will be there for me. When everybody else leaves me hanging high and dry, his love for me is comfort for me. It's unconditional. Well, this is what we need to provide for our spouse. Unconditional comfort with our love. That your spouse knows you love them so much that it's a comfort to them that even when they're acting a little bit jacked up, they can be comforted because my spouse loves me. Your love and your spouse relationship needs to be a comfort for them, not a question mark. 
Did you catch that? It's got to be a comfort for them. It's got to be a warm, fuzzy blanket for them. It's got to be that little snuggly teddy bear, whatever it is. It's that, oh, they love me. It's got to be a comfort. This is what God gives for us, and he wants us to give it to others. Number two, or number, it was comfort. Number three, fellowship. That's a good one. Fellowship of the Spirit. This word fellowship means sharing with one another. It talks about common union. So God shares everything with us. He doesn't hold anything back. God has no, he's not holding anything back from a secret standpoint. He says in the Bible that things are hidden for us, not hidden from us. So he, he shares with us common union. He doesn't hold anything back. This is what we have to have in our spouse relationship. We have to share with one another. It's about participation. It's not holding secrets. It's not dividing. It's not saying this is mine. It's common union. If we're going to have successful relationships, we need to share everything. No privates, no secrets. Total access. Fellowship. So now you and your spouse, you need to have fellowship with one another. Not my stuff and your stuff. It's all ours. We're together. Common union. We don't want division and divisive areas. We want to say, hey, what's mine is yours and what's yours is mine. Not the other way around. You know that old saying they say, what's yours is mine, what's mine is mine. No, no. It's not how it works. Fellowship. We've got to have fellowship, sharing with each other. Next one, number four, we've got to have affection. To feel great compassion for deep feelings, not superficial. This is so important. Jesus has deep feelings for us, not superficial stuff. So now this type of affection that the Bible is talking about is affection that is not moved by super or superficial behavior. In other words, God has these deep feelings for me that no matter what I do, it doesn't change how he feels about me. He has deep affection for me. He's crazy about me, even when I'm crazy. He has deep, and this is what we should look for in our spouse, deep affection, not superficial looks affection. Hotness wears off. You know, sir, there's times you're not always going to feel it, but this deep affection, you're looking for this in your spouse relationship that even when they're not acting right, even when they're not treating you like, you have this deep feeling that says, I choose to love you. I'm committed to you. I have deep affection. You can't move me off of this just because your superficial behavior, just because you're not acting right today, just because we're upset, just because we're not agreeing. I've got affection, the love of God for me I'm releasing to them. Catch that? It's hard for us, isn't it? But it's what God is telling us to have, this affection. Last one, he tells us to have mercy. Oh, Lord, give me mercy for this one. Help Chad with this one, Lord Jesus. Just raise your hand this way. Pity. Deep awareness and sympathy for another, suffering, empathy, and sensitivity. This is concern. Do you know what? Jesus is concerned about the things that concern you. The things that bother you, God concerns himself with those. It's not just about church things and, you know, well, you know God just, whatever you're thinking about, God wants to be a part of that. He, he's concerned. So in our spouse relationships, having mercy means that I care about what you care about even if I don't get it. Even if it doesn't bother me, if it bothers you, I respect your issues. I'm sensitive to you. I show mercy to you. Even if it doesn't bother me at all, if it bothers you, then I respect you more than I do my preferences. 
He's helping us all right now. He's helping us. Because we got to understand, mercy is saying, I have empathy for you. I'm sensitive to what bothers you instead of only being concerned about what bothers me. I don't see what the problem is. That doesn't bother me. That shouldn't bother you. It doesn't bother me. Good luck in marriage. (laughs) Sensitive says, did that hurt your feelings? I'm sorry. I didn't mean it that way. Not... Well, why'd you take it that way? I didn't mean it that way. That's ridiculous. Sensitive says, ooh, that that bothered you. That bothered you. I'm sorry, my bad. I didn't mean that. Being sensitive, having mercy. So this is what he's talking about. Now you've got these examples. This is what Jesus has for you. Now he tells us in verse 2, fulfill my joy by being like-minded. Oh, okay. We got to think just like Jesus does for us. Being like-minded, having the same love. What, 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 what same love? The same love that he has for us in verse 1 where he gives us these five characteristics. He says, have that same love being of one accord in one mind. Verse 3, let nothing, everybody say nothing. <laughs> let, nothing, <laughs> let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. Let nothing be done for our own self-interest. Let nothing be done out of pride. Let nothing be done out of manipulation. Crickets over the crowd. (laughs) Look what selfish ambition means. This is a person concerned only with his own welfare and self-promotion. I submit that none of us intentionally, uh, I'm going to give us all the benefit of the doubt. None of us intentionally do things out of self-issues or or self motivation or doing it out of selfish ambition but there is a place in our life where we want what we want if we're totally honest and transparent that we've got to watch our motive in that situation is it selfish ambition is it to promote my way or is it to promote theirs Here's here's where the rubber meets the road in our spouse relationship deference is about choosing to honor them more than we do ourselves it's about saying, hey, let nothing be done through selfish ambition. If we did an a honest assessment that nothing we did with our spouse was ever out of selfish ambition, anybody want to take that test? That's going to be a tough day. Let no words come out of your mouth that are out of selfish ambition. That you're never trying to manipulate your spouse to do what you want them to do. That you're never trying to use words to try and convince them. You're never trying to promote your own agenda. You're always looking to promote theirs. Man, we got a challenge, but this is what God is telling us. This is how he's telling us we're going to have success in our marriage relationship. But he said, let it be done. Look at verse 4. I'm sorry, but at the end of verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Here's what lowliness of mind means. Lowliness of mind, in the literal translation, just means... Humble-mindedness. Here's what it doesn't mean. Lowliness of mind does not mean that you think of yourself as a worthless piece of trash. Lowliness of mind. Here's how I wrote it out. The best uh, description I could get. Appropriate valuation or assessment of oneself from a godly perspective. Appropriate assessment and valuation of yourself from a godly perspective. That's humility. Humility is not that I'm nothing. Humility is that I am something and I am what God says I am. I am who he says I am. I am valued the way he says I'm valued. That is humble-mindedness. When I see myself like God sees me. 
But from that vantage point, when I truly can see myself as God sees me, then it brings value into me. And from that value, I can give value. Where we struggle, where I struggle, is when I don't see myself in a state of value, then I have a hard time giving value because I'm starving for it myself. When you're begging for a compliment, how many knows it's hard to give one? When you're wishing upon a star that your spouse would finally, if that bothered you, sorry, I didn't mean to wish upon a star. That sounds just a phrase. Chill. If you're, if you're begging, let's say this, if you're begging for your spouse to compliment you one time, that they never tell me I look pretty, they never tell me I look good, they never tell me they're thankful that I'm working hard on myself, they never tell me this, if, when you feel that, then it's very hard for you to tell them in a genuine heart how they look. Well, they never tell me, if they'd compliment me more, I'd compliment them more, and that's not how it works. We give first. We esteem others better than ourselves. And this is what God's telling us. He said, listen, listen, I want, I want you to, from a lowliest of mind, I want you to value them. So we got to have the right value about ourselves or I'm going to struggle. Here's the problem. We don't, oh, here's where I struggle. Let me just talk to myself for a minute. I struggle when I start to look for my valuation or my, my value to come from my spouse. When I get it from God, then I'm not dependent on her to give me what should come from him. Too many times we're looking for our spouse to give us what we need to get from Jesus. Jesus is the only one that can give you that true ultimate valuation. This is why I, I struggle with some cliche things. You know that old movie, uh, Jerry Maguire, where they talk about, you complete me. No, people don't complete you. Jesus completes you. And what you do is you get complete in him, and then you find somebody else that's complete in him, and when you come together, you're two complete beings that's working together. But when you're two broken people come together, and you're trying to depend on the other one's brokenness to complete you, it's a mess. So this is why, Jesus, you complete me so that from that completed state, I can be a proper spouse to someone else. So this is what God's speaking to us. He says, listen, from lowliness of mind, I want you to esteem others better than yourself. Look at verse 4. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Look out for the interests of others. That word look out, it's a cool word. It's a Greek word, skopeo. It's where we get our word scope, like on a gun or a rifle. You know how you close one eye and you look through a scope? One time I was shooting a rifle, a high-powered rifle. Some of you may know where I'm going with this story. And I, I'm looking down the barrel, and I struggle because I have my dominant eye is, not, is my left eye, which I'm right-handed, so it makes it really weird for me to shoot. So I'm looking across using my dominant eye, and, and so I'm looking across, and I'm trying to figure out where it's at. You know, sometimes in that scope, it's hard to get your depth just right. And so I'm getting there, and, and I just pull the trigger, and bam, the scope hit me right above the eye and left a little half-moon cut right over my eyebrow. But I was, I was trying to scope in on the target. I was looking. Everything else I wasn't paying attention to. I was trying to scope in on And that's what he's saying I want you to do. I want you to scope in on the interests of others and stop focusing on yourself. Here's where we get in trouble in marriage and in our spouse relationship. When we focus on the wrong thing, we start focusing on our needs and what they're not doing. See, right there, that's something else they're not doing. 
See, that's right there. That's, that's, that's another problem of theirs. That's another problem. I see all their problems so clearly. How is it that I see their problems so clearly? How is, how is it that we do that? How is it that we're 20-20 vision seeing their problems, but we get a little foggy when we're seeing ours? But it's what happens. God's saying to you, listen, instead of scoping on their weaknesses, scope on their strengths. Focus on the interests of others. Focus on the good things about them because you don't want them focusing on your junk. I'm trying. Stop paying attention to that. I'm doing the best I can. Nobody wants anybody focusing on their weaknesses or their problems. I want you to see that I'm trying. Well, then see that they're trying. See that they're working on it. So now we're going to esteem others better than ourselves. So this is what deference is about. Deference is about focusing not on ourselves but on others. It's going to help us in our relationship with a spouse. Now, deference, here's another thing it does. It opens the door for intimacy in our marriage. You're like, intimacy, it's about time. Be careful. There's three types of intimacy. I'll give you three real quickly. Number one, physical intimacy, which is some people thought of immediately when I use the word intimacy. They think about physical intimacy, sexual relationship. That is the lowest form of intimacy. Physical intimacy is the lowest form. Anybody can do that. You don't even have to like each other, and you can have that. The fact that we use the word intimacy with sex is even questionable because it's, it's, really, uh, it's really an insult on the word of intimacy, but it, that's another topic we'll talk about. The second one is emotional intimacy. Emotional intimacy is where you have the freedom to speak what's on your heart. You share your thoughts and your feelings. That's emotional intimacy, that I can tell you whatever I'm feeling and it's safe. The third place is spiritual intimacy. Spiritual intimacy is the highest level or the deepest, however, whichever way you want to compare it. It is the most valuable form of intimacy, spiritual in- intimacy between a man and a woman. So what I'm going to give you today, there's four essential elements of intimacy that I think are going to help us in our relationships. And I, I hope that you pay attention to these and grasp these. Four elements. Number one is value. Two, energy. Three, sacrifice. Four, trust. Intimacy in our marriage, whether it's physical, uh, emotional, or spiritual, all three of them, none of them happen by accident. So if you're struggling in intimacy in your marriage, and again, some of you are thinking immediately, yes, my sex life is not. No, you need to think deeper than that first. That's the most, that is, that's the one that will respond to the other two. You get the other two right, that will come around. If you focus on that one, the other two will suffer and that one will never come around. I'm helping somebody. You've got to focus. Spiritual intimacy first. Relationship with God. Understanding that. Emotional intimacy. And then you will not have a problem with the third, with physical intimacy. Some of you don't believe me, but, I'm, but okay. So notice what I did here with the, with the four elements of intimacy. You have to invest in your relationship. So here's what I did the acronym. Intimacy necessitates value, energy, sacrifice, and trust. Invest. Put that down. If you're going to grow in your relationship with your spouse, you're going to have to invest in it. It's going to take all these things. So let's break them down one at a time. Ready? Value. What does value mean? Value means I value your thoughts. Your thoughts are important to me. You've got to value your spouse. If you don't value them, don't be shocked when your relationship is not what it should be. You've got to value them. You've got to value what they think. You've got to value what, what, uh, what their opinions are. This, if you're looking for a spouse, make sure you're looking for someone who values your opinion. If you're in a relationship with a guy and he never asks you what you think about something, be careful. 
He may not care. If you're in a relationship and no one respects or values your emotions or values who you are, you need to understand value is saying you are important. What you think is important. Your opinion on this matter, it matters to me. So tell me, what do you think, honey? Tell me what you think. Your opinion matters. I value you. Someone who is valued will rise to the surface. We will bring people up when we value. Here's what this, this step means also. That means I'm here for you, not you're here for me. When you value someone, you say, I'm here for you. You're valuable to me. If something's valuable, do you take care of it? Do you know where it is? You know, you're protecting you. you know, make sure it doesn't get broken. You handle it in care. Well, let's value our relationship. That's the first one, value. Number two is energy. Marriage takes work. <laughs> Marriage takes work. Takes work. I don't know. Maybe you've heard this before. Stop me if you've heard this. Maybe you picked up. Men and women tend to view the world from different perspectives. Have you noticed that? I don't think I'm alone in that. Men and women tend to look at things from different perspectives. So, in other words, for us to function then in our marriage relationship, we're going to have to use some energy. We're going to have to work at it because the Paul. Uh, Peter says this in 1 Peter 3. He says, husbands, dwell with your wives with understanding. Understanding. Paul had some great things to say about marriage. In Ephesians chapter 5, he talked about it. But Peter, I like because Peter was actually married. Paul wasn't married. So Peter says, dwell with your wives with understanding. What that means is you need to learn to understand them. I didn't say always agree with them. I said understand them. There's a big difference. We get in too many fights because we're trying to always agree. We need to learn to understand where they're coming from. And that word understand means to literally investigate them, get to know them. Ladies, make the guy work to get to know you. Make him work to get to know you, your preferences, how you think, how you operate, how you feel about things. You see, we've got to learn that we've got to know each other. If I don't get to know them, then how will I know what they want? How will I know how to operate with them? Husbands, dwell with understanding. So there's some times you're not going to get it, but at least you understand it. I live in a house with five women. And over the course of my life, I've understood this one thing, is that certain things they look at a little bit different than me. There's times that something will come up, a situation will come up, and I'll be like, yeah, really? Really, you, you get that out of that? That's, that's, that's what you, wow, okay. I didn't see that at all. Now, it doesn't mean they're wrong. I used to think it meant they were wrong. <laughs> I used to think, man, God, can we just fix them? I don't know what happened. They got broke somehow, but God, if you will fix I used to think that. But now what I've understood is they've got a different perspective and that if I will understand them, oh, here's the kicker. I don't have time to go into detail of this, but we got to remember God created male and female. Both of them came from God. So part of God he put in a male, part of God he put in a female. So sometimes when my wife sees things from a different perspective, she's still seeing it from God's perspective. Sometimes when we're thinking, men, we're trying to figure something out, I, we we're asking God even, we're praying about it, I just can't figure it out. And your wife comes in, totally out of left field, gives this weird perspective and says, well, honey, have you ever thought about this? Ah, oh, what are you talking about? That doesn't make any sense to me. Well, it could be God. 
It could be God saying, hello, this is me talking to you. And you're waiting to get it in prayer. And God says, I'm telling it to you from your wife. And it works both ways. Well, ladies, you're not seeing something from, from, from a certain perspective. And your husband comes in and says, hey, A, B, C, this is what needs to happen. You're like, stop trying to fix everything. Right? Whatever it may be. Sometimes it could be God. And so we've got to understand that about dwelling with understanding with each other. So that was, that was energy. It takes energy. And let's go to the next one. Sacrifice. Sacrifice. We need to sacrifice our need to be right. To be healthy in our marriage relationships. Let's go ahead and just put that on the altar. Sacrifice your need to be right. Sacrifice your need to win an argument. I, I struggle with this part because I'm, I, I, I'm a debater by nature. I'm, I'm always searching for, there is always a right answer to everything. There is, in my mind. There's got to be a right answer here. And so I will spend whatever amount of energy to find that right answer. I will use whatever amount of words I need to use. I'm a wordy person. I like to talk things out. I like to get something out there on the table, and I'm like, <laughs> get a fork and a knife, and let's get it. Come on, let's go. Dawn's not like that. She's not like that. She looks at the same problem that I look at, and I'm like, yeah, let's do this, and that, and it could be that, that, and that, and that, and that, I'm like, that, 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 and she goes, I don't know. I don't know. That's all, that's, all, that's all you got? Yeah. I want to win. I, I want to get the right answer. Here's the problem. Sometimes winning is keeping your mouth shut and letting something go. Sometimes, sometimes it's not saying, you know what, we're going to fix this right now. Sometimes it's saying, you know what, babe, push that out of the way. I love you, and that doesn't matter. So I don't know either. <laughs> when inside, I'm like, I know. <laughs> oh, I know, but I don't know. Yes, I do. It's like I got these voices talking to me. Sacrifice. Sometimes you got to sacrifice your way for the sake of the good. It's not about me. It's not about it's got to be in my way. Sometimes it's just, you know what? Let's do it your way. The last one is trust. Trust. You got to have trust in your relationship. Here's Adam and Eve in the beginning in the garden. Remember they were naked and unashamed? Or those were the good old days. And they were. Just, <laughs> Always a little delay on that response. Is he, is he saying? Yes, yes. Trust is an atmosphere in your relationship when your spouse doesn't feel like anything's hidden. It's exposed. I can be naked before you physically or emotionally or spiritually. I can, I can give you everything that I have and I'm not worried about you're going to abuse it. You need trust in your relationship. Your wife needs to be able to tell you whatever and you not run her down before she even gets the last sentence out. Your husband needs to be able to tell you whatever and you not cut him off before he even finished talking. We need trust in our relationship. I trust you. That means no hidden passwords, no hidden Facebook accounts, no hidden ghost accounts, no hidden 
Transparency. Transparency. Baby, I got nothing to hide. Here's my phone. Take it. Look at it, whatever you want. If your spouse can't have the password to your phone, there's a problem. If your spouse can't have access to your accounts, your social media accounts, there's a problem. You need to have total transparency and trust. Say, here it is, anytime, set it there. You can open it up, look through it all you want. I have nothing to hide. It will save our relationships. Open up your hearts. I want trust in my life. Defer to them. Let me close with this. I'm going to run through these quickly, but I feel like it's important for me to give, us, give them to us. Ten marriage myths that I know are going to help you. Again, I'm not going to preach on each one of these. I'm just going to give them. There's no particular order. Number one, this is a marriage myth. If I married the right person, I should always feel in love. It's a myth. You're not always going to feel in love. Sometimes people are looking for this soulmate out there, this perfect soulmate. I realize you can marry wrong person. Like, not, I, I get it. But I'm talking about we're, we're too many times looking for our feelings to confirm something that our love should be deciding. It's not always going to be. You're not always going to feel like you're uh, incredible every day. You're not going to never have disagreements or, or you're never going to have issues or problems. It's not a marriage fairy tale. Here's what I say. The truth is that strong marriages are built on love and commitment, not just compatibility. Number two, if my spouse really loves me, he or she will be willing to change. Remember, it's never your job to fix or change your spouse. It's your job to love your spouse. Let God change them. You know who you can change in your marriage relationship? Very good. You. You can change you. I can change me. And this is hard for me at times. It's like, God, can you, can you help her to stop doing this or can you help her to start doing this? She just needs to do this better. She needs to stop doing that. And God says, you know, uh, Chad, that's, that's, uh, that's none of your business. What do you mean it's none of my business? Your business is how you treat her. It's none of your business how she treats you. The nerve of God. Right? It's God's business how my wife treats me. I can't fix that. I can't change that. So don't try and fix your spouse. Fix you. Be a better you. Humble. Lowliness of mind. Esteem others better than yourself. Next one. My friends know me, so they're always the best, best place to get my marriage advice. <laughs> we can just laugh on that one and move on if we need to. Let me just say it this way. Find someone that's been married longer than a week and a half. Find someone older that you can use as a mentor and look at their life. Say, I want a marriage like yours because someone who's been there and done that, bought the T-shirt, they've been the roller coaster ride. They're the person you want to get advice from. I'm not saying you young people can't know. I'm just saying they're working on a limited amount of experience. You want someone who's been there for the long haul that you say, okay, how do you do it 50 years in? I've only been at this 21 years. I'm, I'm fairly a rookie. Someone that's been to 60 years, that's three times me. I, I believe they got some experience that I could learn from. Number four, just because I'm married doesn't mean I can't keep secrets and have personal privacy. We talked about that. Nothing secret. Get it all out in the open. When you're married, nothing hidden. They should have access to everything. Number five, my parents raised me, so my loyalty is to them, and it should be stronger than my loyalty to my spouse. No, once you get married, I love my children. I want my girls to think I'm the best thing in the world. I want them to always come to me, but I know there's coming a day that I'm going to walk them down the aisle. 
And I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to give them to that awesome man. <laughs> I'm serious, he is because I pray for him every single day. I don't know who he is, but I pray for him every single day. And I know there's going to be a time, but when I do that, then now I become second place to him. It's going to be hard. Be hard. Don't, let your, don't let your parents come in between you and your spouse. Don't let there be negative words go to your parents about your spouse. Defend them. Honor them. Protect them. Keep this tight. Mom, Dad, I love you, but don't ever talk bad about my spouse. I love you, but don't talk bad about them. Uh-uh. I guard them. I protect them. Even if I agree with you in some way, I'm guarding them. I'm protecting them. I'm just throwing out some nuggets for you that might help you. I pray God help us all. Uh, number six, I shouldn't have to tell my spouse what's wrong if she or he or she was paying attention. They should know. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> Do I even have to explain that one? I mean, really, we just move on? They should know. No, they shouldn't. Here's my number one marriage law. I started giving this, <laughs> I don't know if this is good. I love you, baby, if you're watching. <laughs> I started giving this early. And I said, it is illegal. It's against the marriage law to complain about what you won't communicate. It's against the law. If you will not communicate it, do not complain about it. Well, they should tell by my aura or something. You know that look you're giving, you're like trying to send all kinds of messages. Just use this message sender right here. And say, baby, that annoys the fire out of me when you do that. It's a whole lot better than. There's something wrong. Nope, nothing. Right? Why do we laugh? Because it's real. So don't, don't try and pretend. Just tell them. Number seven, as long as I don't commit adultery, I should be able to do anything I want to get my sexual needs met. We went from laughing to something right here. I'm going to drop it a bomb in your lap. Give you some t statistics right now. Barna Research, six out of ten men currently struggle with pornography. I'm not talking about heathens outside of church either. I'm talking about in the church. In the church. Six out of ten. You're like, well, I'm not. That's great. That's great. But we need to understand something. Whenever we replace our spouse with another person, either virtually, physically, or mentally, we are pursuing pleasure at the expense of our marriage. This legalized prostitution and objectifying of women that's labeled as entertainment now is robbing us of sensuality in our marriages. 95% of kids will be exposed to porn before they're 18. 95%. 10 years old is the average age of first exposure to pornography. 10. I could take you to the place 
The very place, I can tell you the name of the magazine. I, I know exactly where I was when I first had a friend say, hey, look at this. Now they don't have to do that. All we have to do is have a smartphone and go, hey, look at that. And in that moment, all innocence is gone. This is what's happening. So men or women, do not be deceived by the lie that says pornography will enhance our sexual relationship. It will not. It will destroy it. Because Glamour Magazine did a report that said 97% of women express some level of insecurity about their appearance. 97% is probably a little higher than that. And whenever you look at porn, you say, I'm not hurting anybody. I'm not doing anything. I'm just looking. You're hurting yourself first, and then you're robbing your spouse, whether, again, men or women, you're robbing your spouse of their value. They're, you're saying, whether you mean to say it's not, you're saying, you're not enough for me. I've got to look at this to get my pleasure. I've got to look at this. So now they look at that and they say, well, what, what about me? So I guess I'm there. So now what you're doing is you're, what you think you're doing to help yourself, it's only making your case even worse because if someone who feels that way, you think they're going to open up to you and say, hey, baby. No, they're going to say, uh-uh. Why don't you go look at your picture some more? It's robbing us. We got to get it out. If six out of 10, six out of 10, men, come on. I know it's not something we want to talk about a lot. I know it's something difficult, but we got to say no. We got to say, that's not going to fulfill me. That's not going to help me. That's the devil trying to steal from my relationship, and we got to say no. Throw away devices, open up your passwords, say, honey, here you are, whatever I need to do. It's killing us. Get it out of our life. Number nine, our kids need us, so they should always come before our marriage. Mm. I love my kids, love your kids, but your kids should never come between you and your spouse. It's a marriage myth. That, well, because be, be careful that you may have an empty nest someday and also an empty marriage. Don't choose your kids over your spouse. I love mine. They're awesome. They're wonderful. But they're always second fiddle to my wife. Like, hey, uh, well, whatever mom wants, that's what happened. But that's because you're going to be out of here someday. I don't really care about you. I've got to take care of this one. <laughs> Number 10, lastly, we'll close with this one. If things aren't working out in the marriage, I would probably be better off with somebody else. Again, no condemnation to those that have had a divorce situation because I realize it takes two to tango. Not everything is, you can do everything that you can sometimes and not be able to save a marriage. But I'm just speaking to people that sometimes that think the grass is always greener. That sometimes I find a better person. Somebody would do better to me. Let's each esteem others better than ourselves. It's not focus on their weaknesses because that other person that you're looking at and you're focusing on their strengths right now, guess what? They've got weaknesses. All you can see is their strengths, but you get a little closer and you'll start seeing their weaknesses. I, one thing I like about my marriage right now, it's like knowing where a minefield is, I know where the mines are. I just walk around some of them. Don't go there. Yeah, don't go there. Okay, yeah, let's not talk about it. Yeah, I move. But you go into a new relationship, you don't know where those minds are. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. 
To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.